0: one of the most important things to do is to maintain our technical advantage on the battlefield because whether it's the acute threat Russia or whether it's the pacing threat China, the more that we can maintain our supremacy in terms of technology on the on the on the battlefield or on the maritime domain, the more we can do that, the more we complicate Mm -hmm. China's calculus to do something maybe that we don't want to have happen. Mm -hmm. And we all know I'm talking about Taiwan. So we can't stop and we can't see the innovation landscape or that, that, that um, the leadership, mm-hmm. we can't see that mm-hmm. to any country. Right. Right. We just can't. It is a, it's been turned before that Silicon Valley and now it's Silicon Valley, but it's Austin. It's you know, Boston, it's New York, it's Colorado for space. Right. It's, it's Florida for cyber. I mean, you go around and you talk about this stuff. It is a national security apparatus now. Today
1: on Austinpreneur, we have a conversation at the intersection of national security and venture capital. Our guest is Chip Walter, managing director at Marlin Spike Partners. He brings a deep background in defense innovation, having served the United States in many roles. He's worked both inside the government, the military, and in the private sector. He started his career in the U.S. Navy as a pilot, He spent over a decade in Washington DC doing legislative and congressional affairs before entering the private sector at Northrop Grumman, and is now an investor in dual use companies at Marlin Spike. We discuss the state of tech in the DoD, advice on fundraising for dual use founders, and a whole lot more in this episode of the Austinpreneur podcast. You're bound to learn something, so just sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Austinpreneur, our show about the stories that made Austin, Texas a global hub for startups. The show is produced by Capital Factory and hosted by me, Nick Spiller. As a reminder, by joining Capital Factory, you can plug into the ecosystem where the stories on the show were set. Learn more about us at capitalfactory.com. It was great to meet you yesterday yes. and get you down here at Fed Supernova. How'd you end up coming to the, the conference?
0: Okay, uh, so I've been coming to Capital Factory now uh, for a while. Good. Uh, I did it when I was in CIA, running the Innovation Center underneath Science and Technology, and I have come down a couple of times when I was at Northrop, and last year I was down at the South by Southwest. Of course, there's a component to that here, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I've been to the past two or three supernovas, so uh, You've I enjoy been it. around for a little bit. Yeah, no, no, all true. I mean, I enjoy what Josh has put together here. Um, I think Mary Gwynn has done a fantastic job. She's wonderful running this. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Navy, go Navy! Former Navy, ah, go I knew Navy! You were say it. I was going uh, to I'm not going to let that <laughs> miss that opportunity, but she's done a real good job. Fantastic job organizing this, yeah. moving it forward, and keeping it going and. This is about as smooth as you can get. Everybody is, you know, all the panels and all the discussions are happening pretty much on time. People are getting fed. Networking is happening. Companies are being introduced. It's all good. Yeah. Yep. So no, it's a great, it's a great format. Uh, you know what I, what I tend to say about Capital Factory is that there's other conferences that work on technology. Capital Factory concentrates on networking. Right. And it's the, the people that. Uh, come in and out of Capital Factory and the relationships that are bridged and made right. that I think make Capital Factory kind of, uh, you know, a special piece of Austin.
1: Yep, that's always been Josh's focus on how to differentiate is there's a lot of people out there teaching things, developing things, and, uh, you know, but really what moves the needle is an introduction to a person that will lead to a business opportunity, right? And that's where the
0: rubber hits the yeah. road and what we're trying to do. No investment. ...is solely based on the tech. Right. If the team isn't right, and there's no chemistry, and there's no trust... Oh, yeah. ...the investment doesn't happen. Totally. It may be great, but it's not going to happen. Right.
1: And it could be a great investment, but if you don't have the investors that understand it, you know, and especially in this dual-use space, it's going to get overlooked almost every day. That's right. So you've had a pretty extensive career in the DoD and now dual-use technology in the private sector love to you know walk through that as, as much as we can today and, and sure you know, talk a little bit about then what you're working on now and what we we'll see for the next couple of years. Great. And we want to start from the beginning. I believe you're a pilot,
0: right? Yeah. So. yep how did so you, you, be, you become a pilot? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. So you I went to the Naval Academy uh, back in the late 70s 79 uh, a and uh, graduated in 83 went to flight school in 84 uh, um, actually wanted to be a F14 Tomcat pilot um, flight school went great did uh, did well there uh, went to select F14s and they had just shut down the pilot transit the pilot selection for F14s so dang yeah oh yeah I was not a happy camper I bet. Uh, so I looked at the, the other uh, options around and I decided to go P3s uh, I, it was the best choice I've probably made in my entire career that was a great opportunity to fly a plane that it was anti-submarine warfare. I mean, my first deployment, my first couple deployments, we were on top of Soviet submarine at that time, Soviet submarines all day long. Mm. And there's nothing more competitive than trying to keep contact on a, you know, a Soviet submarine or Russian submarine uh, in the water channel, in the water column. It's hard. Right. And uh, yeah. very exceedingly competitive. Loved it. Uh, And I was in the community for, you know, over 20 years at command, major command. And what was interesting about it after, you know, the later end of my career, I ended up doing a fair amount of legislative affairs. I was on Navy's legislative affairs team. I was at um, joint staff legislative affairs team where I ran confirmations for the Senate. And it was during that time when I was in Major Command, Admiral Fallon asked me to come back and be his legislative advisor in Central Command. Um, I agreed to do that out of Sicily, left Sicily a little bit earlier, CTF 67, and came back and joined CENTCOM. After Admiral Fallon retired, General Petraeus came in, and I worked with General Petraeus in Central Command, Mm -hmm. and then he went to Afghanistan, after General McChrystal, and I followed him. I didn't follow him there, he asked me to go, so I went to Afghanistan for a year with him. We got him confirmed for CIA. After he arrived at CIA, I was asked to be the Legislative Affairs Advisor there. So I ran Legislative Affairs for CIA for about a year and a half, two years, with first through Petraeus, and then through Director Brennan. When General Petraeus left and went to KKR, I stayed in the agency. I really enjoyed the mission. I really enjoyed the people. I really enjoyed the focus of national security from the intelligence perspective. Uh, I stayed and went into science and technology and ended up uh, a year later running their innovation center. That innovation center is kind of interesting because that runs the relationship or or, um, is the executive agent for the intelligence community in particular CIA's relationship with a company called Incutel. Right. So Incutel, as I think you're aware, is one of those rare pearls or gems. That is out there. And that is for the people that don't know in the audience, it is a it is a not for profit five O one C three, truly independent. It was stood up by CIA in nineteen ninety nine. It acts as a venture arm for the intelligence community. They are prolific investors. They are fantastic. They know what they're doing. They have a great um, development and process Mm -hmm. and the ability to help companies understand the intelligence community and a little bit broader on the U.S. government. So I did that for five and a half years. And after that, I put my resume out. I I actually thought it was time for a refresh in the Innovation Center because I'd been there almost twice as long as anybody else had been. And uh, I thought it was time for a refresh so I put my resume out, and Northrop Grumman asked me to stand up there, or to, I would say, maybe restart their uh, venture and partnership program. Did that for three years, and during at the end of that three years, uh, I end up uh, talking with Marlin Spike Capital at the time, mm-hmm. and a investor called Mislav Talusik is now Marlin Spike Partners CIO. And we did a lot of due diligence and comparative you know, notes and, hey, how does that company look? What do you think about that company? And we hit it off and um, Neil Keegan kicked off Marlon Spike Partners, uh, I guess, two years ago mm-hmm. and um, asked me to join. And I did last June. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting story. I mean, I would never have crafted this path. Before you know, when I'm sitting there, you know, flying a P3 as a lieutenant, that oh, I'm going to be in a venture capital firm at the end of my, you know, after the government time is over, I never would have thought
1: that. May not have ever, if he became an F14 pilot.
0: Yeah, but I probably wouldn't have happened. You know, so yeah, I mean, right, that's right. Yeah, you know, things have a way of working out. You know, one door, one—it's never a door closes; it's always another one opens. Right. And you can't look at it like that. You got to look at it that "Hey, hey, here's another open door. Right, um, and it's really, they're not your doors, you know, and, not, and you can walk yeah. through them and access them, but it's, it's, there's a little bit out of your control at all times. Yeah, I like to say that with anything, there's timing, luck, and talent. Yep. So those three things guide people's careers or, you know. Yep. yep. And so, you know, if you have the right timing, things tend to work out for you. At this stage of your career, my career, you know, different, you know, Aaron's career, I mean, it's the talent's probably there. And now you just maybe have to have a little bit of luck, a spark, an opportunity, and then make the most of it. And be open to it. Yeah, be open yeah. to it, right.
1: So thinking back on your days as a pilot in Navy, you know, what were some of the skills or mentalities you picked up that have helped you here in these, these you know, more senior roles, whether it be at
0: Marlin Spike or any of these other groups? Good question. I'd say, it's, I'd say the answer is probably twofold. The first thing is the P3 is a team. There are twelve people on the, you know, in the plane. We're all working together. Whether it's communications, navigations, tracking the sub, doesn't matter. We're all working together. Whether you, the ordnance been dropping the sonobuoys for us, the observer looking out to see if he sees anything. So I would tell you that the formation of the air crew in the P three led to my foundational leadership capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I would say is that. When you're a young pilot and you're you're asked to do some things the ability just to adapt on the fly and not look at it and say why not but more of how can i mm. and i think that is very applicable to the venture capital world where if you look at everything and you think of everything as a is too hard or you can't do it you've never seen it then you're not going to be successful yep. but there's paths to yes And that was also through the legislative affairs side with how do you get to yes on some of this stuff? Mm -hmm. And that is what I think helps us in the Marlon Spike team, if you will, move forward and and really take a, a good, solid look at companies and not make some, oh, that doesn't fit. We really dig in on the companies to see what's going on. And all that goes back to those, for me, it goes back to those foundational time in the Navy of seeing a lot of things, reacting to different things. Looking for a path forward, not for a path to disengage. Right. So just having to go for it, having and to go it, forward. You know, yeah.
1: I think of it, investing in startups. I hear a lot of people. I'm not really saying it, professional investors say this, but when people evaluate startups, is like, oh, they're unlikely to be successful, right? And oh, it's it's not you know don't invest in that. They're, that's likely to fail. And I, I, what I've found is really it's about being part of the unlikely that actually happens, right? And and that's being. It's more about, you know, finding these things that seem unlikely and asking what you just said. How how can you make it happen still?
0: Right. And I think that goes to any, you know, for Marlin Spike, we tend to look at it as, you know, three legs of the stool. We look at the team. You know, what is the team? What is the not only the leadership capability, but the intellectual capital that's on the team? What are the advisors? Mm-hmm. You know, that you know, what brings the special sauce from the people component of that company? We also look at the funding syndicate, who's investing in them, are they the right ilk, do they have the right capability to help that company as much as we can, and then of course you have to look at the technology, but I would tell you the first two are probably more important than the technology, and the reason I say that is because if you have a great founder, and you have a great CTO, and they have a great, te- and they have a technology, and the technology is not reaching the scale, or the audience, if you will, or the or the customers the way they want to, they'll figure it out how to pivot that technology to find a customer base to make money. Mm. So, and that's where it's a little bit interesting with the aerospace and defense. We've termed it here down here as dual use. So what's interesting about that is that we find in Spike that we believe that there is a, a purpose, and I want to get to that in a second, but there's also a profit for our LPs. If we do our job right, we're going to find technology that has the purpose of increasing the technology capability of the warfighter fast. And while it's doing that, it also has a commercial application that can give the upside to the LPs so that they can make money. Hmm. And at the end of the day, you need both, both sides of that. You need the, the purpose to get to the DOD to make it better. And you also need the upside for the, yeah. for the scale for the LP yeah. profit. Absolutely,
1: and that's uh, been a, I wonder how many times we've said dual use at Fed Supernova. Yeah. And that's the topic of the, topic of the, 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 the week. Yeah,
0: there's a part of me that says that, that is, it's almost getting to the point of being it's overused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, and a, a conversation came up at a panel the other day, and that is that when we look at a company, we don't, we don't say, oh, that is a defense company or that's a commercial company. We believe in the tech and the team. And we believe that if we pick the right company, it's just going to be a natural progression in each one. So, for example, one of our investments is a company called Elroy Air. They're middle-mile cargo, fully autonomous. Think about that for a second. So you have, it can carry, you know, 500 pounds, 300 miles, nobody involved. Think of, you know, bringing ammunition, water, medical supplies, blah, you name it, into a contested area where you don't have to worry about exposing pilots or a helicopter to the threat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really kind of cool. That's on the military side. You can say Ford operating base to Ford operating base. Think about ship to ship. You know, instead of launching a helicopter at 2 o'clock in the morning to get the part over to the carrier, from the carrier to the destroyer, you launch Elroy. How easy would that be? You know, right. you don't have to necessarily change the course of the ship to get, in the, you know, get into the wind. The Elroy's small enough, it just fits on the deck. Right. So that's kind of neat. So that's the, if you will, the, you know, dual use, in my opinion, you know, from the defense side. The commercial side is they've already secured over $3 billion in memorandums of understanding and LOIs, letters of intent, and they also have pre-orders. So you have this defense that is growing and budding, mm-hmm. and then you have this commercial side that's just waiting for it to happen. And are
1: those transportation companies, or what's the use FedEx, case? That's FedEx, a great thing. Right. It's FedEx.
0: It's right. Bristow Air, which does, get these semis off the highway. Yeah. Well. Well, for them, it's 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 middle mile. So mm. it, it's not going to take the the truck because the truck can carry so much more. Mm-hmm. It's going to take those things that absolutely need to get there fast, mm. that can be into a you know. Mm something that holds yeah. 500 pounds and goes 300 miles. Got it. And the nice part is it's a hybrid electric, so it doesn't have to have electrification at the other end to recharge. You just give it a little bit of gas. Mm. So that's, that's a good example, in my opinion, of what a dual-use company is. It it had commercial contract contracts and LOIs before it had an application to the military. So, you know, I, I, I think dual-use is, I think what we should look at it is, it's just aerospace and defense investing. Mm-hmm. And just about... There are so many needs that the military has. If you take a look at Heidi shoe's 14 key points... Okay, hypersonics, quantum, put that aside. A lot of the other stuff can be just about anything right. and manipulated. Right. I mean, if you have encryption, yeah, that's great for fintech, right. but it's also good for DOD. Right, right. Yeah,
1: yeah and you can see... Companies like Boeing and Lockheed at the ultimate maturity stage that that are dual use companies, uh, you know, well right. Boeing for sure. I'm not sure yeah. about Lockheed, but I would but tell you that they're more DOD focused. More DOD. Yeah, but i you know, you fly on Boeing flights, and, yeah, and sure. you know, the commercial airlines, and that was Absolutely. all driven by the yeah. the DOD innovation, the tech they needed right. back in the day. I'm curious about the uh, legislative affairs business, <laughs> which looks like that was a big part of your career. Um, yeah. What what, what does a director of legislative affairs do?
0: Um, I, I, you answer the phone. <laughs> 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 I, I hate to say it like that, but you, you, answer, the, you answer the phone, and um, your what your job is is to to the best of your ability keep the hill Capitol Hill House and Senate informed because. Most of the time, if they're informed, the people that are in the military or in the Department of Defense, they have a good plan. Mm -hmm. The plan's solid. It's normally what happens is problems happen when the transparency is not at the level it should be. So there's an interesting story or an interesting um, piece of uh, General Mattis' book, Mm -hmm. recent book. And he said he always had three index cards on his on his uh, nightstand and they they were what do i know or what have i learned who have i told have i told them and as a legislative affairs person that was my job what do i know who have i told have i told them there is nothing worse than for a member to get a call from somebody or see it on the news before they had an inkling of that was going on so in a lot of cases it's Shaping the environment to allow that message to get up there in a very mm-hmm. transparent, focused, and positive way mm-hmm. and not reaction. Be proactive. Strategic communication. Strategic communication is what it is. And you know, the story is that you know, when you're in legislative, it's really how do you get to yes on mm-hmm. some of this stuff. It's mm-hmm. not how do I say no, because you'll lose that battle all day long. Um, so the idea here is to get them... To be able to just say yes, and you know, get them to support what you're doing, Mm -hmm. and that just it just takes time. It takes time. It takes trust. It takes communications, and you know, that's that's the key to it. I would say. Are there any particular particularly memorable
1: situations you found yourself in? We can can talk about
0: here. There were several (laughs) uh, memorable situations. I imagine. uh, Most of which I can't talk about. But one that was really interesting was in Afghanistan, when we took uh, at that time the three amigos, mm-hmm. Graham, Lieberman, and McCain, Senator McCain, Senator Lieberman, and Senator Graham, and um, and actually Senator Landrieu at one point, and we walked them around to Afghanistan. And so we'd fly, you know, a helicopter out to a fob, and then we'd walk at a forward Operating Base, and we'd walk around and see what the you know the the conditions were and Several of those, we'd walk right down the center of the, you know, I'm going to call it the little city market, marketplace, and we'd go from a very military, small Ford operating base that had maybe 100 people on it around sandbags, and you'd walk out, and then you'd walk right down the market, and you'd go to a school, and you'd see a, you know, you'd talk about this view of, you would see a young child on a donkey come to school, with a, with a backpack that was Scooby-Doo, you know, something like that, and a cell phone. And you're sitting there, and you, you're trying to process that. But it's those, it was those kind of uh, instances in Afghanistan where you could see that Afghanistan was trying to enter today's world. Mm. And we saw a lot of that. And that's what you got to see as a legislator. You know, advisor to the you know the commander. I would go out with the congressman and the you know and the senators and see that. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it was 2010, 2011, and it was really interesting from that perspective. You could see, and I know it's hard for the audience to understand, but you could actually, or not to to believe mm-hmm. that you could actually see some sort of semblance to what we would view reasonable happening, mm. and. Clearly, it was the Afghanistan's version of that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was it was really remarkable in a lot of ways, and it was, you felt good about what you were doing when you would build a school, and you would see the children in there, boys and girls in the school learning, and it was, you just hoped that that spark would catch, so yeah. wow. that for me was one of the more wow. powerful times, you know, in legislative affairs to see all the good that you know, the United States of America, not just one, not the military, not the whole use of, you know, all avenues of power right. come to, come to work and try to help a country. Right. Now, right. clearly it, you know, it didn't work out as much as, as well as we wanted more, it and more, ended more the way we wanted, but yeah. there are, you know, um, that's why we are still the bright, shiny light on the Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We try, we wow. we
1: try. It's an amazing story. And so, love to talk a little bit more about incutel and it's particularly useful to our community and group that comes to to capital factory i guess what type of companies you should be looking into incutel and and you know what's what's
0: you know special about working with them so what i would say about you know incutel first off i am a huge fan i worked with them for five and a half years and I saw, over those five years, a maturity uh, even then. So it was founded in, you know, 1999. Mm-hmm. I want to say I joined it in, I think, 2000, end of 2012, 2013, I think, is when I started working with them in the Innovation yeah. Center. Yeah. What they have is they are built to bring in technology. And because they were around for so long, they really understood what the intelligence community needed. And when you really understand the need, whether it's classified or unclassified, you can shape a discussion with any company to understand whether or not they could meet that need or that use case, as it's termed. And then they just had, a, I would just say, a well-oiled machine, and they still do, a well-oiled machine about bringing it in, working with the company to refine that product, not off its commercial path, but refine that product and maybe tweak the product to help the intelligence community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that model. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say that DIU is built off of InQutel. That's not fair to DIU. But DIU has got that same, which I really appreciate, that same mm-hmm. effort to find the customer, mm-hmm. to match the customer to the to the technology before the investment's done. All right. And that's what InQutel is really good at. And right. that's why they I, I For the IC, for sure, they're the gold standard. Right. Yeah. And everybody uses them. Everybody talks about them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I'm candidly very proud to have worked as long as I worked with them. The team is fantastic. It's interesting that um, Chris Darby is the current CEO. He is going to step down at the end of this month. Steve Bauscher, who is the president right now, is going to fleet up to CEO and president. Steve is perfectly equipped. To fill the shoes of Chris Darby, and I am just looking forward to that transition and to see where Incitel goes next. But yeah. I, I am sure it's only going to be up and to the right. Yeah,
1: Yeah. it seems like a group ahead of its time, and and you know, and, and now everyone's catching up. And I think that's what's interesting to me is as as DIU and all these other groups mature and really come online, and Incitel and and you know, groups like that. I think yeah. Let's not long. forget
0: that IncuTel's twenty years old. Right. You know, twenty four years old. Right. Nineteen ninety nine. Right. right. Um, DIU is six or seven years old, maybe? Right. Seven, right. seven, maybe seven and a half. Yeah. DIUX yeah. started there yeah. and then they went through two iterations. Mike Brown came and now right. Doug Beck. Right. I mean it's okay. Right. The every every month, every year goes by, DIU will get better. Every month, every day, Army Applications Lab, which is up here, you know, on yeah. the eighth floor, will get yeah. better. Yeah. Casey Pearley is fantastic. She's gonna take it from Jay Wisherman, she's going to move it forward. You know, Casey Plew at Naval X is, you know, is in charge now, and he's taking it to new standards. Everybody understands the importance of getting innovative technology right. through to the warfare to fast. Right. The real rub, and we were talking about this the other day, is the acquisition side of it. Mm-hmm. How do you improve that? And that is something that is always on, the, on top of mind for me. Right. And are you up to speed on the legislation
1: they're working on around DIU right now? In terms of the funding, the The additional funding, funding, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. can you tell us anything about that? Uh, There's been a couple other folks just it bits and pieces.
0: Yeah, I would say that I think the, I think, so they're in conference right now. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's probably going to have, uh, be morphed around, you know, changed around a little bit during the conference process. It's expected, it's anticipated, it's that. Uh, You know, I, I think that, what that signals and should be signaled to the entire department, not just the Department of Defense, but all the services, mm-hmm. on how serious Congress is mm-hmm. about improving the ability to get you know new technology, innovative technology into the warfighter. As I'd mentioned earlier when I was talking to Aaron, that probably the in in my opinion, that one of the most important things to do is to maintain our technical advantage on the battlefield because whether it's the acute threat Russia or whether it's the pacing threat China, the more that we can maintain our supremacy in terms of technology on the the battlefield or on the maritime domain, the more we can do that, the more we complicate Mm. China's calculus to do something maybe that we don't want to have happen. Mm -hmm. And we all know I'm talking about Taiwan. So we can't stop. And we can't see the innovation landscape or that 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 um, the leadership, Mm -hmm. we can't see that to Mm -hmm. any country. We just can't. It is a it's been termed before that Silicon Valley and now it's Silicon Valley. But it's Austin. It's, you know, Boston. It's New York. It's Colorado for space. It's it's Florida for cyber. I mean, you go around and you talk about this stuff. It is a national security apparatus now. And right. we can't forget that. Right. And that's why you had Cepheus get beefed up. That's why you had FIRMA. That's why everybody is interested in making sure that we protect that, you know, I, I would almost say, per, you know, pearl.
1: Really? Right. You know,
0: it's like the keys to the kingdom. you got to protect
1: that. Right. not just keep going. We need to
0: speed up yeah. like
1: the, the pace of innovation. Yeah, well, that's, so fast.
0: that's not going to change. I mean, yeah. if you take a look at, you know, everybody, every time you talk to a company, it's kind of funny. <laughs> every company has a forecasted revenue path that's a hockey stick. You know, there's been books written about the hottest hey, you're state. right. I've never seen anyone yeah. forecast it yeah. Yeah. Nobody, going down. Nobody forecasts it going down. Everybody forecasts it going up. But the one thing you can see that is, that is a fact is that you can see the pace of technology not abating. There's an interesting chart, and I would challenge, not challenge, ask our uh, audience to take a look at it. It was done by BlackRock. Uh, BlackRock. It was a chart that talked about acquisition in the silicon, uh, the, um, the, um, I guess, just the chip manufacturing yes, process. Semiconductors, semiconductors yeah. thank you. And it started back, you know, with radio, and it goes all the way through to the iPhone, the iPad, et mm-hmm. all. And what you see is, over that time, you see the time it takes to scale, in which case most people are using it, from the from the telephone to the radio to the TV. And what you see is the time in between each disruption is decreasing, and the time it takes to get to scale is decreasing. So what is happening is the technology is coming faster, and it's being incorporated faster. Mm. So, and that's not changing. So we have to think about that as a national security environment. How do we, how do we not just catch the wave, but ride the wave? Mm. Catching the wave is fine. I mean, we can go do element, you know, large language models all day long, generative AI all day long, great. But you gotta maintain it. It's not just one and done. Yeah. It's one and what's next. Right. And I think that's what is that is what's important about our mission at Marlin Spike. Right. and that is to not just you know catch the wave, but ride the wave, right. and ride it to the next wave, right. to ride it to the next wave, right. to keep that technology going. And I would submit that's what Capital Factory's doing too. They wanna they wanna foster and stir that pot and get that wave going and keep it moving.
1: Absolutely. And this reminds me of one of my favorite books, The New New Thing. And that's about this idea of well, there's always the new thing everyone's talking about, but there's something beyond that we're not talking about, which we will be in, in short yeah. order, order. And it's how do you position yourself and open yourself up to that to, to receive it and yeah. engage with it. It's all about Jim Clark. He founded uh, four. Unicorns in Silicon Valley um, in the 70s, 80s, and all of them, he was uh, non-operational by the time they raised their Series A. And he just was real early stage, came in. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, how, do you, how do you
0: stay ahead of the game? Well, I mean, I, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Mm. Uh, in this case, you know, the ecosystem has to have a good process to evaluate. mm mm-hmm. Uh, I do sometimes worry with the amount of SIBR money that's put out there that companies are not failing fast enough because, again, remember what I said, if you have the right founder, the founder will find a way. Mm-hmm. So if you keep on milking companies along with SIBR grants, they don't get the signal to pivot. Mm-hmm. So there's a piece of me that says that although this money in the ecosystem is great, keep it going, but let's do it right and, you know, and really challenge those founders to have a product that is actually mm-hmm. functionally important, not only to the commercial <laughs> side, but to DOD, <laughs> if they want to be that aerospace and defense.
1: And my, my sense is as these programs mature, the pipeline will fill up. And, you, you know, I think that's what I've been talking about with founders. Like now is the time to go apply for this stuff because these new programs, not a lot of people know about it. Yeah. And, uh, but, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of companies getting super funded. Some of them are, you
0: know, We'll call them companies, but they're as early as they get. Yeah, couple ideas. Couple ideas. That's great, right? Well, you have to you have to water the you know, as with anything, you know, you water it. You and some are going to bloom earlier, some are going to bloom later, some may never bloom, right? Right. But you still got to water. And And I think
1: the important part, and uh, Helena from Afworks brought this up in the meeting yesterday, is is really the signals to investors right and and I think it's one thing to get funding to do some things but if it becomes perceived by investors as something more than it really is and they go invest and then you're really you know pushing pushing too much into a, into a company and so I think that it sounded like she at AFWERX and they were talking about how to you know educate investors and create the right transparency to, to inform us yeah it,
0: that's not going to be easy with the amount of money that's out there I mean to be right, you know transparent it's, that's not going to be easy there are going to be companies that are going to continue to get Sibir's funding <clears throat> that have a good idea that just don't mature it right for some reason or another. Uh, and maybe maturing it right is not the right way to say it. Maybe it's better said that the technology does not get the traction it needs with the customers, and it, it doesn't end up being an aerospace and defense company. Right. That Yeah.
1: And so you've been evaluating these companies for a little bit now, but and now you're in... VC shoes. Yeah. And what skills and, and you know, even just philosophies are, are you using as a VC that you developed while you're inside the DoD?
0: Yeah. It's a great question. I, I, I think what, what I try to do in my role as the managing director is to really try to understand the use case that I see for that technology because whether it was in you know, in the Navy, if you will, whether it's with CIA, was with Northrop Grumman, you always have to come up with a problem set that you're trying to solve where the technology can actually help. Those Those problem sets are really normally based on a use case. What do you need to fix? And so... The way I tend to look at it from my perspective inside of our fund, each one of us, Neil Keegan is the CEO, Mislav Tolusic is the CIO, we have a senior associate, we have a, CF and a CFO. So we only have, it's a small team, five. Everybody has their lane they run in, and we are complementary where we don't overlap a lot, but we overlap a little. And so what my role in the fund is, is to take a look at it and how do I envision and where do I think. DoD could best utilize that and what units and what areas can mm. utilize it now mm. and not necessarily grow into it. So that's where I use the networks and the, the contacts that I have with the innovation like Case, you know, Casey Purley, right. Dr. Casey Purley up in uh, Army Applications Lab or Casey Plu, as I mentioned, or DIU with, right. um, you know, Ray Godberg and, you know, that right. kind of stuff. So right. uh, it's a little bit more about networking there to make sure that on how it works. But at the end of the day, we, we want to make sure that the companies that we're investing in have a clear path, right. as best as we can determine it from how we look at the commercial path, but more particular to me, how, how do I think we can work this into the DoD in peace? We also think that presence matters when you're aerospace and defense investing, and we are in D.C., so you know I drive over and park and talk, thank you, tell. I right. was talking with Chris Darby just a couple right. of weeks ago. Um, I was in the Pentagon. I was with DARPA. You know, Zoom is great, but having the context and, you know, of seeing somebody face-to-face mm-hmm. and having that conversation matters. Absolutely. So that helps. Yeah. I, I would say that helps us yeah. with our ability to determine the, the, actually this sustaining ability of that use case. Yeah,
1: yeah it, it's obvious having talked about your role as a, legislative affairs director and and probably talking to all sorts of organizations and agencies and, and just personnel that now you you know where where to look and who to talk to depending on what technology that you're evaluating and and you, you know not to mention you, you know a lot of these people and, and they, they know who you are
0: when you reach out yeah I, I think that's true and I think that's that's important for anybody a lot you know we only know so much Individually, and the ability to to reach out and actually talk, whether it's collaborative, whether or it's corroborative, uh, those are all interesting opportunities.
1: So let's you know end on just talking about your, your focus at Marlin Spike, and you know what, how can you elaborate more on the type of companies you're investing in yeah.
0: and, and looking sure. to get involved with? Absolutely, love to. So, as we've talked a lot about today, Marlin Spike is a dual-use aerospace and defense investing. Uh, company. We look for those companies that have disruptive technology that can actually increase the efficiency or capability of the warfighter, and we want to have that quickly. We invest in five, five verticals right now. I don't think there'll be a surprise AI, autonomy, robotics, aerospace, um, space, and then last is cyber. We've made investments we're a first-time fund. We just closed our first fund in July. We've already invested in eight companies. We have a couple more in the pipe, and we bridge all five of those verticals with all of our investments from Android mm. to Privateer to Rendered AI to mm. um, Usable Machines, which is a, a more recent one, uh, and Voyager Space. So we really, and I don't know if I mentioned Anvil. So we have eight investments that are ongoing there and. We really do believe that those five verticals, and you can and uh, so the two verticals, three verticals that are are sustaining are the robotics and autonomy, aerospace and space. The cyber and AI, those are fundamentally important to all three of those. Mm -hmm. So you can't do, you know, know, both of those, the cyber and AI apply to the other three. And we really try to take a holistic look at it. We want to we want to be in all those verticals because we believe all five of those verticals have both you know hate to, you know to use the term again purpose and profit mm. so we be, we believe all five of those have a you know a tam and a Kager that is a responsible action to go invest in for our, our investors our lps but we also believe that there's enough use case out there to really help the warfighter on the battlefield mm. And from a
1: stage perspective, is it a
0: little further yeah, down the? Great row, question. Right? Yeah, no, we'll go uh, from. We are primarily in an A and B, okay, mid-stage, if yep. you will, mid-growth. Sure. Uh, we are we are opportunistic, if you will, in the seed and the late stage. Andrew's obviously, late stage. We invest in them. We think that they are the epitome of a dual-use company. Right. We've also invested in seed-stage companies because we think that those are going to make it to the A and B, and we'll double down on them then. So, but most of our investments, we're gonna, you know, the seeds are gonna be about 500K to maybe a little bit more. And when we get to A and B, it's one to three. And for a late stage, we'll do one or two of those, you know, per fund, if you will, that they'll be somewhere larger than that, somewhere around five. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Any, anything else you wanna share with the audience before we wrap, wrap it up today? I don't think so. I, I, well, let me just say a, a couple things. First off, it's, it's venues. And opportunities like this to get the word out for people to listen to, to hear different ways to understand what we're trying to do. So, you know, when, when I think of others in, the, others in our space that are also aerospace and defense, it's not a zero-sum game. It is a all of us have to be effective to make this work. Yep. Because this is not a small task. This is a daunting task to get the technology into it. If I, if I would say one thing that would be really important for me to see going forward is I understand the FAR is complicated. I understand legislative action, I have a lot of time in legislative affairs, is not going to be easy. I think we have to do a couple things early up front in order to really improve the capability of this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. In particular, I think that we have to re-incentivize the prime integrators, the Northrop, the Lockheed's, and everything to really dig into these companies, not just through partnerships, but through investing. Raytheon is doing it, Lockheed's doing it. I'd like to see more take an aggressive look at that to really help these companies more so than just throw an iRat at them, give them a little bit of money, put a partnership in place, and then kind of, if you will, bracket that technology that they're they're doing. So I I would really like to see the primes maintain and, and even do better at being a forcing function to get technology of the warfighter faster, not right. exquisite, but faster. Right. That would be the first thing. The second thing is I would really like to see, and that is the services or the intelligence community really work on their contracting cadre. When I talk to, whether it's people in the Department of the Navy or the Air Force or even the intelligence community, I see that there's a shortage of contracting officers. When there's a shortage of contracting officers, they're all too busy. And so, it's much easier for them to put money on a contract that is already established. What I would love to see is to see more money put towards contracting officers so that they have more, I would say, bandwidth to actually write new contracts with companies that don't have a legal staff, to be able to walk them through those processes to get onto a contract. And that's a lot of times what's, what slows this whole process down. There's just not enough contracting officers to go around. No. So. That would be a – I mean, I, I get it that that's like a Band-Aid or, or a temporary fix, but you're going to need some of these temporary fixes to bridge, just like a company may take a convertible note, make a bridge loan, right, mm-hmm. to get it to the next round. Mm-hmm. We have to do the same thing in the Department of Defense, is find these little things that can shore it up a little bit as we move towards maybe acquisition reform, right? which, oh, by the way, has been ongoing for quite a while. I'm sure. <laughs> so that's I'd probably love a to whole see, other podcast. Yeah, I would love to see a little bit more uh, – quick fixes if you will, yeah. not necessarily yeah. that are they're they're perishable and go away in a week, but things that can actually actually help. Yeah. I think contracting officers are someplace to look at. Absolutely. Well thanks for sharing those insights with us. Thank today. you. Thanks for coming down to
1: Fed Supernova and Engaging us as a VC This time I'll be back So good Yeah we're excited We got uh, Yeah we'll help you Find some Some of our portfolio Companies to get involved with
0: We can go Go uh, work together On some of these deals I appreciate it Nick thank you very much For for having uh, For having me I, I really Appreciate the opportunity To have the talk
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Austin awesome Don't forget to check out CapitalFactory.com to learn more about us and join our community. If you have thoughts about the show or ideas on how we can work together, reach out to me directly via email, nickspiller at capitalfactory.com. Shout out to the Capital Factory Dream Team for making this podcast possible. And special thanks to Aaron Handworker who masterfully recorded and edited the show. Come back next week for a whole new episode.